the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Three specific reasons. First, we've seen this already, it is God's ministry and God's Word. And so, he is the only one fit to evaluate. These two things are so profound, so rich, that even the godliest of men cannot search the depths of them in others' hearts for the sake of evaluation. And that leads to the second reason only Christ is to evaluate, because only God can see the heart. Man cannot. Because remember, proper ministry, proper faith is not just doing things externally. It's the heart. That's what matters. And so we could try to judge, but we can't even see the heart, read the heart, look at the heart. We can assume, but that does nothing. That's just foolish. And the third reason, it's Christ and Christ alone who is to evaluate, is that man is not all-knowing. Man is not all-knowing. Although that may seem like the same as God alone can see the heart, it is important to note that God always sees the heart. He doesn't just see the heart when he happens to travel through the Bay Area. He sees all hearts, all the time, every heart. Wicked, sinner, unbeliever, Christian, righteous, godly. All of them at all times. For Paul... He's saying that the Corinthians' judgment of him and or his ministry doesn't matter. Understand that this isn't a put-down. This isn't an insult, right? This isn't when we get cocky and just say, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about, right? He's not saying this out of anger or because he doesn't love them. Keep in mind that he's speaking to all of them, those that say Peter is better than him, as well as those who say Paul is best. He's saying this to even those who are saying good things about him, okay? He's not just shutting up the people who are saying negative things, and I think that's very important on a practical level, especially as we apply this. In other words, positive or negative, man's opinion is inconsequential. He's not just saying this because the Corinthians are all criticizing him or that he's afraid of a negative verdict from them. Quite the opposite. They are praising him to a very strange degree. This is big picture stuff. This doesn't violate nor negate the biblical call to get into each other's lives. Accountability, encouragement, rebuke, church discipline. But in the grand scale of things and in the ultimate sense, man cannot judge our ministry. And he's definitely not going to give us the final reward and a final day. That might be an important side note. Don't seek man's praise because that's not the final reward. There's something 
that are coming that you need to work towards. And ultimately, man sees only the externals. And even with that, we all have our own biases stemming from our own guilt on the one hand and our own extra-biblical convictions on the other. That may be good for you, but are not from the Bible and should not be forced on others. You've heard me say this before, but extra-biblical convictions are just that, extra-biblical. The Bible doesn't address them directly. Oh, you can weave your way into a scripture verse, but it's a gray area. And if you think it's absolutely wrong to tell someone else that it is sin, it's just as bad as taking away from the Bible because you're adding to it. Let the Bible stand on its own. What are examples of that? Drinking alcohol. Getting drunk is a sin. Drinking alcohol, gray area. Watching movies, watching TV, certain types of music. Smoking cigarettes. Well, the Bible says we're temple and we got to get, then stop eating ice cream too. Extra biblical convictions are good for you so long as you don't become a legalist and create rules that are not in the scriptures. And I also want to point out another obvious thing. He's talking to Christians, again, some of which are borderline worshiping him, that they respect him so much. He's talking to Christians. So, if he says their opinion doesn't matter, then the opinion of unbelievers definitely doesn't matter, Christian. Either way, Christian or non-Christian, when you start seeing them as the final judge of your ministry, of your life, of your faith, it's very dangerous, whether we're talking about Christians or non-Christians. It's not a thorough list, but when it happens in the church with, with other Christians, you kind of see other people and, and their praise as your final verdict, your evaluation. You can start getting cocky. Because, yeah, whenever you do something good and righteous, people are going to thank you for it. Get cocky. Or you let people serve in any way they please, even if they're not gifted in that area and their service is hurting themselves or the church. Well, that's what people want. We just want to make everyone happy because they're, they're what matter. You can be afraid to say no to people's ideas. Right? The church is not a democracy. But if you just stop at the level of man's opinion matters most, then people want to do outrageous things and you say, okay, let's do it. Yeah, we want to spend $10,000 on a mobile smoothie bar when we're back in Burlingame High School. Good idea. Let's do it. Whatever you want, right? Those are just absurd examples. But even in small things on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. In the church, you can worry more about equal access and participation than quality and godliness. I'm going to say that again. You worry more about equal access and participation than quality and godliness. Uh, He wants to lead small group, let him lead as he leads the sheep astray. Well, give him his fair shake, give him his fair share, give him a chance. He wants to do it. If that were the case, we'd have 30 elders in our church right now. Just kidding, we wouldn't because there would be no church anymore. What about in the world with unbelievers? And this is the issue that Paul's talking about. You start pandering to worldly wisdom. You seek the approval of the unregenerate according to unregenerate standards. 
you take it too far and you start actually resenting Christians and their standard. And that always starts with your immediate Christian family members. Start resenting them because you're so filled with worldly wisdom. You're so spending all day pandering to the world. You come home and your dad or your wife or your son says, you told us the Bible doesn't want us to do that. And you get angry. You start resenting Christians because you've placed non-Christians as your standard. Can I be even more practical with you? And again, this happens not just with positive or negative, when people are the final standard for us. Husbands, how many times have you done something that maybe is not outright wrong, but some people kind of raise their eyebrows a little bit? Maybe it's spending every weekend away from your family with the guys. Maybe it's a, it's a trip with the guys. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a favorite hobby that takes you away from your wife for long periods of time. And your response is, oh, no, my wife's okay with it. In fact, it was her idea. She even planned it for me. And that's the end of that. But, friends, as godly as she is, when did she become the be-all, end-all of what is right and wrong? When did she become the final decider of what makes a God-honoring husband? By the way, this could work the other way around too with wives justifying things because their husband is okay with it. Just because she's okay with it doesn't make, make it right in the eyes of God. Just because she planned for it, paid for it, doesn't make it okay. The same could be said of bosses. My boss doesn't mind that I take this. That doesn't make it okay. Right? Integrity is what makes you whole. And for the Christian, what makes you whole is the scriptures and obeying the scriptures. So it doesn't matter if your company, the checkout person at Safeway who gives you too much change or whomever is okay that they accidentally gave you something that they shouldn't have, the parking spot that you took that's not for you. Integrity is not, well, he said it's okay. He doesn't care. God cares. That's what integrity is. God cares. I don't care if it's a million dollars you accidentally find in your bank account or three cents that the checker accidentally gives you extra. God cares. Have you ever worked a a job like that? There's a leeway, right? You take take the tray of money. I used to do this at a a movie theater in Redwood City that's now closed, right? And then you got to count everything. And even, that was a really strict job, but even then, even those people, they had a leeway. If you're short by, you know, 50 cents or a dollar, it's not a problem. That just happens, right? It just happens. But you got to understand that every penny counts to the Lord because it's not about money. It's about the heart. It's about integrity. And so we can't just go by what other people are okay with and what other people think. Well, back to the text. Paul speaks to this. When he says, my conscience is clear, he's saying, I can't think of anything against myself. Not one thing, Corinthians, that I said or did wrong in my ministry to you, but I know that doesn't acquit me. That doesn't mean it's okay. Acquit literally means justified. It doesn't justify me. I think that's a fitting word because when we say my conscience is clear, we say we're basically saying I'm, I'm justifying my actions. In other words, what he's saying is just because I think I'm right 
doesn't mean I'm right. When he says he's not conscious of anything or aware of anything in the ESV, it's the idea of knowing about oneself what others don't know, which is true. You know a lot about yourself that others don't know. And he says, I'm not aware of anything or nothing. And he's talking about, again, his ministry as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And again, he's saying, my conscience is clear. And that's exactly how the NIV translates it. You know, sometimes when people say to me, you know, we're in a discussion about something that happened. He says, well, my conscience is clear. I say, so what? Again, just because your conscience is clear doesn't mean you're right. I didn't make that up. Paul's saying it. He's saying of himself. His conscience is clear, but it's not someone else saying so what? He's saying so what to himself. I'm not acquitted. I'm not justified because my conscience is clear. Why? One of the main reasons is Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Not I, of my own heart. Most of you are familiar with the KJV version that says desperately wicked instead of desperately sick. The pastor, isn't it important that my conscience is clear? Absolutely, yes. The Bible is very clear about that. But here's the problem. Any tool for measurement, which is what the conscience is, is only reliable to the degree that it has been calibrated correctly. And even, as those of you who have many tools in your garage know, even if it has been calibrated correctly, they can break, they can dent, they can be miscalibrated over time. And if it's not calibrated right, the reading is wrong. I can't trust most of your alarm clocks. Because many of you have set them a few minutes fast because you somehow, no offense, ridiculously think that that will keep you from ever being late again. I've seen this, right? I've been driving in a car and someone, they're driving and they notice I look at their clock. You know, they're driving me to appointment and I kind of react. Oh, that's 10 minutes fast. See, the conscience can be wrong, though, on both sides of the spectrum. Usually we say, like, well, the conscience can't be relied upon because when I sin, my conscience says it's okay. But it can be the other end of the spectrum as well. You see, usually we are concerned about it being seared. We're concerned about the conscience being undersensitive, leading to underreaction. But the problem can also be a conscience that is oversensitive, and leads to overreaction in the church that often leads to legalism and judgmentalism. And oftentimes, just as a side note, not always, oftentimes an overreactive and oversensitive conscience is because your conscience is not informed by Scripture, but it's informed by American church culture. Both are a problem, being oversensitive or undersensitive. Because neither a clock that's 10 minutes fast or a clock that is 10 minutes slow is accurate. They're both wrong. Well, this one's better because it's forward and it keeps me from being late and still wrong. It's still inaccurate. In both cases, the problem is the conscience is under or over the scriptures. It is not aligned exactly 
word for word with the scriptures. We need to be like Martin Luther, who at Worms declared, my conscience is bound in the word of God. It was David who in Psalm 139 wrote one of my favorite prayers to pray, which is also at the same time one of the most terrifying prayers to pray. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's scary stuff. Like we know God knows anyways, but it's scary stuff to say, I don't even want to try to hide anything from you. But wouldn't you rather know so you can deal with it? Wouldn't you rather God know so he can deal with it? I mean, here's the prayer of a man so in tune with God and so passionate for God's glory that he asked God to search his heart. He's not concerned about what others think, how he comes across, how he's perceived, or even what he thinks of himself. Just God. That's all that matters. On a practical level, you do need to understand how important the conscience is for the believer. In Romans 2, the human conscience is explained as an incredibly powerful tool that can defend or accuse you. Both Paul and Peter in their epistle speak of believers having a good conscience. That's a good thing. We need that. We're not saying that the conscience is not important. We're saying that it is not foolproof. It's not the be-all, end-all of what is right or wrong. There is a place for you as a Christian to silence accusers by saying your conscience is clear. But you have to allow that there is room for error and acknowledge that you are not perfect. So go back, reevaluate, search the scripture, search your heart. Tools like the conscience are just that. They are tools. Tools that can be used properly. Tools that can be misused. Tools that can chip. Tools that can be broken. Tools that can be outright twisted or thrown away. I recently shared something similar a few weeks ago with the men and men's group about prayer, and I think it's appropriate here. You know, countless unwise and selfish decisions have been justified by Christians with the phrase, I prayed about it. That's it. I prayed about it, so it must be what I'm supposed to do. I'm okay with it. Again, please pray about it. But that is not necessarily the end of all things. Back when I was a missionary, I was in a predominantly Muslim country. And there was a time early on before I lived there, but I was visiting there every summer, that there were so few foreigners, especially Amer Americans in the country, that they assumed you were a missionary if you were a foreigner. They just assumed it. And with that, they assumed you were going to try to actively share the gospel with them. And so as soon as you started talking about something serious, they would say, I'm a Muslim. That was their way of saying decisions made, conversations over, shut up. In the same way, far too often Christians say, I prayed about it to tell us who would otherwise give them different or biblical counsel, decisions made, conversations over, shut up. I prayed about it. In the same way we use the phrase, my conscience is clear. Again, while a good tool, not 100% reliable, it's just a way for you to tell others to shut up 
I believe sometimes we say my conscience is clear as a way to clear our conscience, to tell our conscience to shut up. I mean, think about it. You don't just say my conscience is clear for no reason. Brush your teeth. Get ready for the day. Good morning, dear. My conscience is clear. Wait, what? Thanks for coming, guys. See you next Sunday. Amen. My conscience is clear. What? Why do you say that? You only say it because something happened. If you walked by two people in church and you overheard someone say, well, my conscience is clear, you'd be like, whoa, what happened there? Because something happened. Something's going on. We got to be careful because the conscience is unreliable. I think oftentimes, because of that, you would say, hey, my windshield is clear. I, I do that. I can see I'm safe. My windshield is clear while my wife in the passenger seat is about to throw up because her side is all cloudy. You have tunnel vision, and in that particular justification, your conscience is clear. But, oh, man, are you wrong and guilty. Don't get me wrong. There are times where you say your conscience is clear, and it's clear because you're right. You did the right thing. You did what honors God, and that's great. But what I'm saying that we, like Paul, have to say, like, my conscience is clear, but I know that there's room for error. It's not fully reliable. And you know what? Even if you're right and your conscience is clear, the Bible is very clear that that's not it. The church, Christianity, is not just so that you're happy and you're content and there's nothing wrong because your conscience may be clear and you're leaving a wake of burned, discouraged, offended people in the church. I have a friend, because, you know, because of the uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye book that came out years ago, he developed his own system of dating where he would not date. He didn't want to defraud anyone. And he would just hang out with girls and one day propose to one. And good for him. It worked for him. He did it. But he left a wake of girls who understood their conventional view of dating and understood what he was doing. And as they hung out, they were saying, he's going to propose, and then he proposes to someone else. But he stayed pure, which was the goal, and his conscience was clear. Well, if not other people, not even yourself, then who? Well, God, of course. We've seen others' opinions are inconsequential. Self-examination is unreliable. But thirdly, the Lord's assessment is final. The Lord's assessment is final. Look at the end of verse 4. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Only God has the necessary insight to properly and rightly assess and judge the heart and the motivations for everything you do, specifically in ministry and service. As such, we must not put others, including ourselves, in the position of judge. It wasn't that Paul was not sure of where he was going in the, the future. He understood that the verdict was already made because of Christ. That's not what he's talking about. He's making the point of ultimate accountability to God so that we do not fall victim to the ways of worldly wisdom or even selfish wisdom. Like our consciences, other people are a help. They're good. 
This is not a call to Lone Ranger Christianity. Be involved. Seek accountability. Seek counsel. Seek help. But we are all fallible. And especially if you find yourself focused only on their approval, then you know there's a problem there. And that's all I have for this third point because I think it's very clear. God's assessment is final. And so we've seen three evaluators of your ministry and their significance. Others' opinions are inconsequential. Self-examination is unreliable. But the Lord, his assessment is final. And so I want to read for you again this passage, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, piece by piece. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. So, friends, are others' opinions a very small thing to you, or are they the biggest thing? And I'll just tell you this. There's a good chance if you are human and others' opinions are not the biggest thing, but they are a thing, they will soon become the biggest thing. He goes on and says, in fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. Do you see yourself as the final justification for all your actions, or do you recognize your conscience as what it is? An extremely helpful, God-given tool, but fallible. And finally he writes, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Let's pray. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.